When we think of great churches, we can uh, have several that come to mind in the recent past and even currently. I remember when uh, I was in school, one of the great churches up in the Nashville area was the Madison Church of Christ with Ira North. And at that time, which was uh, way back in the 60s, uh, they were over 2,000 on Sunday morning, that kind of thing. Did a lot of work uh, in the Brotherhood and was, was well known. Uh, locally, I think of uh, great, when I think of great churches, I think of the Grant Street Church in Decatur, which is no more. They merged with Austinville to make the Decatur Church of Christ. But for many years, going back to uh, the turn of last century, uh, I believe it was about 1911 that the church actually got started in Decatur. And then later on, uh, it moved from Jackson Street and the schoolhouse that they were meeting in to uh, the location on Grant Street. And uh, the building was built in 1925. And it was a, a spectacular building uh, at the time. And it was a great church in that uh, it was the mother church, if you will, of several area congregations. The Beach Street Church uh, got its start from Grant Street. Uh, Memorial Drive, which is now Beltline, got its start from uh, uh, Grant Street. Austinville did. Uh, Flint did. And so they were evangelistic. Uh, they, they were uh, a great, great church. And on we could go, but when you think of the New Testament and great churches, uh, my mind goes to the church in Ephesus. And we're going to be talking about that great church uh, for a few minutes uh, tonight. Uh, just a little bit of the history of the church before we uh, get into some points of a lesson. Um, but we're going to be looking at it from the standpoint of how it started out and how it ended up as far as scriptures uh, is concerned. It's one of the uh, more mentioned, more often mentioned churches in the New Testament. But little is known really of how the Ephesian church got started. Possibly uh, it was started as early uh, as soon after the dispersion, you remember in Acts chapter 8 after the stoning of Stephen that there arose a great persecutions and the disciples were scattered. They went everywhere preaching the word, all except the apostles uh, who remained in Jerusalem. And there was a great dispersion. Uh, of course, the uh, church there uh, had gotten started on Pentecost when so many people from all over the empire were coming to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. And then when the gospel was preached and the church was established, uh, they weren't in a big hurry to get back home. And so there was already a great number of people there. But when this persecution began, uh, they had enough knowledge from their time that they stayed there that they went everywhere preaching the word. So it may be that it was in that dispersion that some ended up in Ephesus. Of course, 
If you'll look in your uh, maps in the back of your Bible, you'll see where Ephesus is. It's on the coast of the Aegean Sea. Uh, it's a great port of Asia. Uh, it was a very important trade center and a, a trade route uh, in the first century. But the first mention of Christian activity in Ephesus uh, is during Paul's second uh, missionary journey that's recorded in Acts chapter 18, uh, verses 19 through 21. And that context uh, tells how that Paul, along with uh, Aquila and Priscilla, are going there from uh, uh, the west. They're going to uh, toward the east to Ephesus. And uh, this happened probably somewhere between A.D. 45 and 52, roughly speaking, uh, not long after the church had gotten established in uh, Jerusalem. And there we read and understand that Paul taught in the synagogue. This was one of his favorite methods uh, when he went anywhere, especially a new place, uh, he would go first to his uh, brethren in the flesh, uh, the Jews, go to the synagogues, be given an invitation to stand up and share a word of encouragement, and he'd preach the gospel. And there would be believers, and there would be those who obeyed the gospel, and the church would begin. So in Ephesus, we find that Paul did this. He went to the synagogue, and he was asked to stay longer but uh, he declined that and he left, but he left Aquila and Priscilla in Ephesus to continue with the church there. But by verse 24 in the same chapter, uh, Acts chapter 18, uh, Apollos is converted by Aquila and Priscilla. And it is said in verse 27 that the brethren sent Paul on his way to Corinth. So by the time of Paul's third missionary journey in Acts chapter 19, somewhere between maybe 53 and 57 AD, we find that Paul returns and stays for almost three years this time. Uh, he taught God's word in a school during this time. It was also in the synagogue again for three months, and then is when he went to this school, maybe one of the first preacher training schools that we read of or know of. But he taught there for, uh, I guess you could say, as a located preacher uh, for three years. And during this time, Ephesus became a beachhead, really, of evangelism into the region. A lot of evangelism was going out from Ephesus into the region. It's also recorded that Paul did uh, many miracles through the Holy Spirit during this time. But by the time we get to Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 38, it's evident that the Ephesian church had appointed elders. So having left Ephesus a few months earlier, it reads that Paul goes to Miletus and asks for the elders at Ephesus to join him there. And in Paul's meeting with the Ephesian elders, 
He encourages them to shepherd, to take care of the Ephesian church. And he also charged them with watching out for false teachers, even within the church itself. So sometimes in the early 60s, we find that Paul writes the church in Ephesus a letter. It's our book of Ephesians in the New Testament. And the first half of this letter uh, by Paul to the Ephesian church is a reminder uh, to them of all of the blessings that they have in Christ. And the second half of the Ephesian letter is encouragement in Christian living. So the church is growing, growing, growing physically and spiritually. Uh, they're still human. They're not perfect. And Paul is trying to encourage them to continue being strong in the faith and in Christian living. But by A.D. 63, Paul has arranged for Timothy now to go and work with the church in Ephesus, and he writes him a letter, which is our first Timothy. And there he encourages Timothy to work with the Ephesian church in the areas of conduct and also developing qualified leadership. They already have elders, but sometimes uh, we need refresher courses all along and what the scriptures teach about the qualifications of elders and the work. So he encourages them to battle against false doctrine. Timothy is still in Ephesus by A.D. 67 when Paul writes the second letter to Timothy. And he's telling him this time to watch for the coming apostasy. So by Paul's second letter to Timothy in Ephesus, the church is somewhere between 20 and 30 years old. It had indeed become a great influential church in Asia. But for the next 30 years, however, the scriptures are silent uh, on the history of the Ephesian church. There's a little bit of tradition that has it that the Apostle John, in his old age, moved to Ephesus and worked with the church uh, during some of this time. Uh, that's a little bit of speculation. It could have happened, but again, it gives us a glimpse of what's going on with this great church. But the next and last time that scriptures mentions the church in Ephesus is in the book of Revelation, written around, I believe, 95 to 96 AD. And by this time, the Ephesian church is between 50 and 60 years old. Uh, the Midway church here is about 70 years old, so that gives you kind of a perspective as to where they are. But they had indeed remained a great church. Uh, Ephesians, uh, or Ephesus rather, is one of the seven churches of Asia that Jesus sends a message through John to in Revelation 2, verses 1 through 7. 
So let's go there and read this last mention of the Ephesian church in Scripture. Revelation 2, beginning with verse 7. I mean verses 1 through verse 7. Jesus writes through John, To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. Last time we hear uh, the Ephesian church, about 50, 60 years old by this time, uh, they had indeed remained a great church. Now, note that Jesus' commendations that he uh, lauds them with works, labor, they resisted evil and false doctrine, they persevered in persecution, they had patience, and they did not become weary. Wow, that's saying a lot. First century was uh, not a good time, physically speaking, for the church. That's when it was born but it was born in the midst of uh, persecution, it seems. And during all of this, they had not become weary and well-doing, had patience. But isn't it interesting that in the midst of all of the compliments, Jesus told of one thing he had against them there in verse 4. In the New King James translation, you have left, or ESV, you have abandoned. You have left your first love. Now, there's no doubt, especially in light of all of these accolades that uh, Jesus um, pours upon them, that they still love God, they love Jesus Christ, they love each other. They couldn't have lasted this long without that. So how is it that Jesus is saying you've lost that? He says you have lost your first love. The love that you had in the beginning, you don't have now. You may have love 
Indeed, I'm sure you do. But it's not that love that you had in the beginning. Let's look at this one flaw that Jesus holds against the Ephesian church. What was the flaw of the great church in Ephesus? What was the first love that the Ephesian church had lost? Well, Paul compares uh, the church and Christ uh, as a bride and groom. The church is the bride of Christ. And first love is the love of newlyweds. Remember when you first married? You still love each other, don't you? But when you compare it to those times as you were dating, getting to know one another, and then marrying those first few years, uh, sometimes it, it's a little bit different quality, isn't it? Uh, so it has something to do with that uh, newlywed kind of love that Jesus is talking about that they once had in the beginning. When people were hearing the gospel and obeying the gospel, being added to the church, and the church is growing, growing, growing. And uh, they had this kind of newlywed love, being married to Christ. It was simple. It was pure. Well, I guess, well, let me just put it out to you for, for comment. How would you describe this first love that the Ephesians had but had now lost that Jesus is condemning them on? What would, how would you describe first love? I'm sorry? Okay, a fire about them. Yeah. I remember uh, when Kay and I uh, first got started in the uh, school of preaching at Harding College after we had returned from uh, Sierra Leone. It was a new program. We were the alpha class, the guinea pigs, but it was on the campus of Harding College. It was a two-year you might say preacher training school on the campus of Harding. And it was a special group. It was 28 of us. Uh, the minimum age was 21. So the teachers all loved us. We were not the freshman Bible class. We were mature men. Most of us were married, already had some, some children. And uh, among that class of 28, there were some who were new converts, had not been Christians very long. And they were there, and I can remember, as you said, uh, sort of a fire in their bones. I, I didn't see it in myself or some of the others, you know, that had grown up in the church. But here are these new Christians, maybe haven't been a Christian, but just a, a few years. They're on fire. And they put the rest of us to, to shame with their zeal and their energy uh, for the Lord's work. Okay, so fire. Fire in the bones, and I cannot hold it in. You've got to let it out. Somebody else, what, what is first love here? I'm sorry? They had actually been so zealous, they built a fire and burned. 
Hey, that's a good point. Yeah, I'm going to add that in here. <laughs> right, so, so that, that was a physical fire that they started with, getting rid of all of their magic books and uh, all of those books uh, in the name of Christ. Somebody else had a comment. She's my wife. <laughs> Talking about first love here. I love her first. I love you second. <laughs> Speak, brother. Yeah, uh, I think we all got the idea. Uh, there's an excitement, a zeal there that uh, over time, I guess it's uh, somewhat natural, something that you have to kind of be on top of and monitor, uh, or you do become complacent. Doing all the right things, teaching all the right things, worshiping in the right way, but somehow it's just kind of lost the, uh, the excitement and the zeal. And I don't know exactly what the key is to maintaining that level, you know, throughout. Uh, but evidently we are expected to, or else Jesus would not have called them out for it, for having lost it. So I think that uh, what I've got here from my notes is that the first love of the church is the submission of a self-denying love to the love of Christ who gave himself on the cross for her. So over time, the Ephesians' fervent love and zeal for Christ had given place to uh, one place where I looked at in uh, doing the research for this, Put it this way, that they had lost their love and zeal for Christ and had given place to lifeless orthodoxy. Lifeless orthodoxy. Orthodoxy means true teaching. So everything is perfect. They hadn't strayed into error, false teaching, or anything like that. Everything was being done right, but that, that first love was gone. And Jesus is saying you need to get it back. In fact, he says you need to repent and restore that first love. Important to Jesus. So... Right. It can become vain worship in that uh, it's empty. Going through the motions, yeah. It kind of causes you to do some do uh, to do some self-reflection, doesn't it? Uh, Paul is very plain about what great faith without love is. In First Corinthians thir uh, twelve verses two and three, let's read that. 
I think it kind of gives us a picture. 1 Corinthians 13, 2 and 3. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So that's what Brent's talking about here, vain, empty. So in spite of all their commendations, if love has ceased being the motive then Christ is not honored. Jesus told the Ephesian church that they must repent of this flaw or else lose their place. And I've often wondered about that. Uh, these seven churches that Jesus is writing to of Asia are pictured as lampstands. Each church has a lampstand or has one. And Jesus is saying to the Ephesians, if you don't repent and turn around and seek that love that you had for me in the beginning, then I will come and remove your lampstand. So if all churches now continue, as it were, to have lampstands, is ours still standing? Causes us to look inward. Two things that uh, Jesus is saying here that I think it uh, would be good for us to look at and understand. First, Jesus tells them that they were to remember what their first love was like years ago. Remember. No, Jesus said God is pretty big on memory. Remembering. That's what the Lord's Supper is all about. Uh, remembering. Remember the beginning of Grant Street? I mean, Grant Street. Midway. How many uh, of us here tonight go all the way back to when the Midway Church started? Yeah. There, there are a few of us. I think it was, what, about 1953, wasn't it? If I'm not mistaken. 52 or 53. And I was just a little boy uh, at, at that time. Uh, 53, I was four years old. But I remember a lot about the beginning. Uh, even though some of you weren't here physically, you were potentially <laughs> with your parents. Uh, but I remember uh, there was a gospel meeting uh, in the corner where the old building now stands a tent meeting, you know, there was a lot of those back in the 50s and 60s. Uh, and the pastors around here, there would be a tent pitched up, and for two weeks, there would be somebody preaching the gospel. 
having a loudspeaker on the car during the week and during the daytime, the preacher would drive around the community announcing the meeting to come. And uh, Henry Lentz and myself and some others had the uh, distinct honor of having a flashlight and we would tell people where to park as they would come into those tent meetings. That was power. It's almost as good as a remote but it was good at that time. But we had those at that time. That's how the Midway Church got started, was with a tent meeting. And there was attendance by the area congregations, Dances Chapel, Fairfield, New Antioch. And uh, it was a success. And as I understand it, as it's been explained to me, that it was such a success that it was sort of a mutual uh, thinking among members of the three congregations that I mentioned, maybe even county line, that we just need to establish a congregation here at this place, and it happened. And uh, the very first place that the church began meeting was in the uh, house of Sister Ruth Lentz over at Caddo. And as a little boy, I remember it must not have been a very big room, a normal size room, but to me it was huge, a huge living room. And that's where the church met in those early days. It was members of Fairfield, Dances Chapel, New Antioch churches that went together uh, to form this new congregation. Then after a while, the property was uh, purchased there. And, uh, but before then, even, the church began meeting in the store that's right across the road. Not the Country Mart, but across uh, Old 24, that building. It was, it was new. They hadn't floated the floor yet with concrete. It was just gravel. And I can remember uh, meeting there for uh, a while, a uh, gravel floor. And then the land was purchased and uh, the building I think Ward uh, Gillespie uh, did the masonry work for that original auditorium. And then we have gone from there. But there was excitement, I'm sure, uh, among those Christians in forming a new congregation and getting it going. And I would say that we're one of the great congregations in this area. Uh, the Lord has certainly blessed us. But... Uh, that what's really mentioned here and is uh, intended is that we remember our attitude, our motive, our zeal at that time that got the church going and maintained it. Not so much the physical aspect, I was just getting off script a little bit there. But we are to remember it. Surely we can remember. Can you remember when you obeyed the gospel? Can you reach back and remember the feeling you had when you came up out of the waters of baptism, knowing that you are a new creature, that you are saved at that moment? I remember at 12 years old, uh, Cal McCurder baptizing me, and I remember as I came up out of the water and stood up on the top step, I remember thinking, at this point in time, I don't have a single sin to my name. I remember thinking that. At 12 years old, I had already accumulated a few. 
But right at that moment, I didn't have a sin to my name. Uh, and it was sort of a heady time. Uh, it was when uh, different ones of my age in the congregation were also obeying the gospel. Uh, we had our own little Church of Christ group in Lawrence County High, and uh, we did battle with the Baptist, and uh, we stuck with it, we stuck with the truth. But uh, again, we've got to go back and remember. And then next, they were to return to that degree of love. Remember, and if it's not with you now, remember and go back and reclaim it. So that was the great flaw of the church in Ephesus after all those years. And in the midst of all of those compliments, great things to be said of any church, by Jesus especially, but to have that one flaw to stand out. So serious that he says, if you don't repent, turn around and go back and reclaim it, I'm going to remove your lampstand despite everything. Is that important to Jesus? That degree of love. So can history repeat itself? We'll end up on. Uh, again, do you remember the first love, that first feeling of excitement, zeal, hunger for Bible knowledge? Do you think the Midway Church still has that love, that level of simple, pure love for Christ and His Word? Could it be that uh, within the number of years that we have been here that we are showing signs of leaving our first love as Ephesus did? It's something for us individually to reflect upon. And as each of us individually reflect upon it and determine personally to go back and reclaim that love, then the cumulative effect of that is the Midway Church going back and reclaiming that degree of first love. We've certainly, I think, in 70 years, uh, have had many accomplishments. Uh, we've uh, done a lot of activity, correct teaching. Midway has never gone off the tracks doctrinally. We've never split because of uh, a problem or sin. Uh, all of these correct teaching activities, accomplishments, works uh, are necessary. But it often gives the impression that all is well with the heart. But Jesus' letter to the Ephesian church uh, dispels that impression, doesn't it? Uh, it may appear that we still have that love, but do we really? If we lose contact with that original feeling, when everything was new, and our faith was strong, then we begin losing our first love. And so I wanted us to look at the Ephesian church tonight 
and really reflect upon ourselves. Uh, You know, husbands and wives need to do this too, don't we? We need to constantly remember the level of their first love. And the church needs to constantly remember the level of its first love and never lose it. Never lose it. Good works alone are not enough. And maintaining our first love in Christ is not an option. If we lose it, then we too must repent in order to be pleasing to Christ. First love. Let us always remember then our first love and maintain that level of love in our service to God. Uh, there was, in the second century, uh, a church historian in the early second century, his name is uh, Ignatius. If you've done any study of church history and everything, you'll recognize uh, this historian's name, Ignatius. He wrote a letter to the Ephesian church many years after Revelation was written. So he wrote to them if uh, the Ephesian church, by the time Revelation was written, was about uh, 70 uh, or about 60 to 70 years old. They may have been around 100 years old by the time Ignatius writes this uninspired uh, letter to them, but that is extant. We have that letter. And so uh, in it, Ignatius writes to the Ephesian Christians, the Ephesian church, and he too complimented them greatly for all that they were doing, present tense. But he also encouraged them in things they were lacking in. For one thing, Ignatius exhorted the Ephesian Christians to gather for worship more frequently and thus gain from the spiritual strength and sustenance that come from such assemblies. Isn't that interesting? One indicator of losing our first love is less attendance to the assemblies of the church. Now we are commanded uh, on the first day of the week to come together for the purpose of remembering the sacrifice for our sins and engaging in other areas of worship. And our culture, our customs, has also had us through the years coming back again on Sunday evening and uh, also on Wednesday evening, uh, according to the desires of the elders, church leaders. Uh, but one indicator is losing, uh, losing our first love is less attendance to the assemblies of the church. And I'm not talking just about midway, we know it's, it's throughout. And not only the Lord's church, it's the same thing as is true in the denominational world too, uh, attendance at worship services. Not like it used to be. Of course, we didn't used to have TV 
radio, the internet, all of that has its place in maybe this problem of losing attendance. Whatever it is, uh, that's one indicator. And so as we look at ourselves and, and we look at our attendance, uh, individually as we look at ourselves and how the, the level of importance that we place on that, just being together with fellow Christians, part of it is to encourage one another and to build one another up so much as we see the day approaching. Uh, of course, first and foremost, to worship our Lord and God, but also just to uh, get a shot in the arm. Uh, we need that, and that comes from being together. Satan really dealt us a blow it, with COVID and the fallout from that. I appreciate the fact that the doors of this church building were never closed during that time, but you can sure see it in the attendance, and I'm not putting a guilt trip on anybody. If you're sick with COVID, you stay inside, you don't get out and affect anybody else and all of that. But uh, we haven't recovered from that, spiritually speaking, yet, have we? So some things to work about, and so may the Lord bless us with maintaining our first love to Him as we have studied this great church of uh, Ephesus, looked at it through the years in Scripture, but then to see what Jesus said to them after they were older and, and mature. If we were to receive a letter from Christ today, the seven churches of Lawrence County, we get our letter, what would it read? Would it resemble Ephesians? What would it read? Something to think about. Well, thank you for your attendance. I corrected my watch. I think maybe I've got, I've got zero minutes according to that. So I'm not gonna make a fool of myself this time and sit down and get up before the buzzer goes off. Thank you.